Would you speak up if you saw someone behaving in a way that was against the culture of your business? What is the culture of your business? Half the people in the world think that it just happens, that it just happens by default. My guest on Your Next Read podcast today is Shane Michael Hatton. He's written a fantastic book called Let's Talk Culture. And then we have a great chat about how culture happens, why you need to make sure you drive it, and as a leader, you make the culture where you want it to be. But most importantly, it helps us to get curious about why we do some of the stuff we do and how our actions don't happen in a bubble, that what we do affects other people. I think you're going to love talking culture with Shane Michael Hutton. So, Shane Hutton, welcome to your next read. Mate, who should read Let's Talk Culture? Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a privilege to be here. Uh, This book is written for a very specific group of people, and that is for people who are leading a team who find themselves sitting right in the middle of the organization, often referred to as the meat in the sandwich. Uh, They're not in the executive team. They're not in the the C-suite of the organization, and they're not kind of just a new employee. They're either kind of just taken on a new leadership role, a management role, or they've been there for a little while, and they're looking to build the culture of their team. That, that's kind of the impression I got about it as well. That that sort of idea that you can't you can't just pretend about culture. You've got to actually it's a, it's almost a doing word, isn't it? You've got to get in and do it. And that was the that was the gist I got from this book. That that culture is not something we can think about. It's something we've got to do. Was that your was that part of your intention? Yeah, I mean, part of it is that I wanted to write a book that made what is this big, intangible, invisible thing called culture, something that could be practical, which means that it's something that you can do, something that you can shift, something that you can change. And so if you got that, then yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah, cool. That's kind of what you're after, is it? Yeah. Yeah. But you, you talk about having a few conversations that you kind of need to have the whole like let's talk culture you have to have a few conversations what what in your ways what's what would the first one you think you need to have yeah i mean part of uh, the challenge with a lot of conversations that we have about culture is that we all talk about culture all the time right if you think about you know in business, we're always referring to culture in some way. So maybe you've got a new person who's joined the team and they go, oh, they don't really fit or they don't really get our culture. And other mm-hmm. people go, oh, I left that last organization because I hated the culture there. And so we often talk about it, but the challenge is we often don't know exactly what we mean when we say culture. And I asked yeah. a whole lot of people, we went out and did a research project for this book and asked a whole lot of people, um, how do you define culture? And most people really struggle to be able to do that. And everywhere I go, people struggle to do it. And so if we're going to have a conversation about culture, it's important that we first at least get on the same page about what we mean when mm-hmm. we talk about culture. And you could basically talk about a whole lot of things, but really what we're talking about are the, the norms of our team. So what are the ways that we do things around here? What's the that kind of unspoken element? What are those kind of key behaviors that we talk about when we're referring to culture? And so- yeah. The first conversation is ultimately a conversation about expectations because so much of culture is is invisible and it's unspoken. And so if we're going to talk about culture, we need to be aware of some of the unspoken things. So when I refer to the expectation conversation in the book, what I'm saying is how do we talk about what I as a team leader expect of you as a team member, what you as a team member expect of me as a team leader, and what the organization expects of us is in a collective sense. And I refer to it as making the unspoken spoken. Yeah, okay. I love that idea. It's sort of, it's almost like my point of view, your point of view, and then the bigger picture. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, for most people, and we're talking about the audience of this book, which are people right in the middle of the organization. A lot of those people don't have the influence at a organizational level level to really change systems or, you know, collective change, but they can change things from within the context of their own team. And so the goal is not to create your own culture within your team. It's to be able to create a culture that feels aligned to the collective culture, but it's something that feels um, very real to the people that you're leading and to the team that you're a part of. So you're saying it kind of has to be yours. It has to, it's almost got to have have a unique. We have to take something that exists on a collective level as an organization and ask ourselves, what does this mean for us as a team? And most of the time, one of the big arguments or the big pushbacks against organizational values is that we look at values written on a wall and we go, yeah, we kind of want that, but I don't really know how that connects to me in my existing role in my team. So we might say, well, our organizational value, the big one is integrity, right? It's always integrity on the wall. And we go, great. So integrity is great to have on the wall, but how is it actually lived out on our team? And that has to be something that each individual leader takes responsibility for and says, well, what is the expectation that your organization has around us when it comes to integrity? And what about me and you? Like, how does integrity look for you? What does integrity look like for me? Mm. And one of the things you talk about is having sort of shared language. Yeah. And I guess if one of us looks at integrity as being this and the other one looks at it as being something else, then are we really sharing language? We might be using the same words, but we might not be using it in the same way. Yeah, it's that great George Bernard Shaw quote, which is the biggest um, uh, allu- uh, what is it? The illusion of communication is that it's that actually happened. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, I think about maybe you've seen there's that picture and it's one person looking at a six on the ground and it's a person standing across from them and they're looking at the same six reversed, but it's a nine yeah. to them. And it's like, you're looking at a six, I'm looking at a nine, but we're looking at the same thing. And yeah. so the challenge of communication is that I say one thing and I might not connect with what I'm saying in terms of the meaning that I'm trying to communicate. So what I often say is communication is not just an exchange of words, it's an exchange of meaning. And so part of the conversation about finding shared language is not just having these words that we use to describe our culture, but actually bringing those words to life by finding shared meaning in those. You look like you've talked to or read a lot about um, Michael Bengay Stanya. Is that how you say his name? Yeah. Michael Bungay-Sanya, yeah, is, a, yeah. is a, a, a great example when it comes to coaching and, and a phenomenal thought leader in that space. Yeah, because he, he, I actually, after reading your book, because you, you made such good points that he brought up um, in his book, The Coaching Habit, I actually went and read that. And, um, right, he'll be happy to hear that. <laughs> yeah, right. But it, it, um, it brought up what you said, that we've got to sort of almost stop telling and, and keep asking for a little while. Yeah. Can you, can you take the people listening through, through that sort of concept for me? Yeah. I mean, one of the dangers of culture, if you think about how organizations might typically operate, they go, oh, we need to work on our culture. And so what do we do? We take our senior leaders away. We put them on a two-day offsite retreat. We workshop the culture. We bring it back and we tell everyone, hey, everyone, now this is our culture. Mm-hmm. And we don't invite people into that conversation. Now, there are some things that you you know, definitely needs to take uh, take leadership over and take responsibility for, but it's not at the expense of excluding people from that conversation. So what I would say is, Lead it, absolutely, but invite people into conversation. And when we invite them into conversation, we actually help them feel part of what we're trying to create together. Mm. And it also, that sort of removes a lot of the obstacles of getting stuff done, doesn't it? When people are invested in what needs to be done and how we're going to do it, they're more likely to actually do it. Well, you'd hope so. I mean, if I felt like it was something that was being imposed on me, I would feel like I'm 
I'm having to live up to something that somebody else created. Whereas if I had the opportunity to contribute to the conversation, I would feel like I'm contributing to towards something that I want to build and I want to be a part of. And I think that approach feels much more aligned to me than just trying to impose a culture on people. Yeah, it, it, it's almost like trying to colonize, isn't it? You think of, uh, yeah, you think of the, the British Empire went out and colonized a whole bunch of places. We're going to force this sort of thing on you, whether you want it or not. And, um, yeah, I can see why that will only work until it won't. Yeah, I mean, there's a, a chapter on the book where I talk about the dark side of culture and um, the whole idea that there's a fine line between building a cult and building a culture. Both cults and culture are about a way of doing something, whereas cults, it's basically saying, well, this is what you will do and it's enforced, whereas culture is something that says this is something we can create together and it's actually empowered and it feels um, it feels led rather than feeling enforced. Well, one one of the examples you brought about that was um, Adam Newman and and WeWork, mm. and you actually you always know you've read a good book when it sends you down rabbit holes, and you sent me <laughs> down shitloads of rabbit holes after reading this. And I watched that there's a a documentary about WeWork, which is really really good, and there's another one called We Crash, which is with Anne Hathaway and Jared Leto. Have you seen both of those? I haven't. I've heard lots of the story of the of the cult of we, and I don't know enough about it to really give an educated opinion on it. But I do know from what I've heard is that it it created a culture to the extreme that almost became very cult like in the way that they approach things. I wasn't almost very cult like. It was cult like. <laughs> it was right. that um, idea of you need the charismatic authority and yeah. and that you're going to transcend beliefs and control systems and, and influence in a certain way and. Yeah, you you brought that out really really well in the book. How you actually develop a cult and how developing culture is not that far apart. Just I know because it's it's something that's very similar, but it pushes it to the extreme. And I think for people who are listening, like the book's not going to show you how to build a culture. It's how to accidentally how to not accidentally build a cult uh, because some of the things that we do with culture can be a very very similar. And so, for example, we look at in cults there is a sacred belief system. And um, in culture, we also have a belief system that's influencing the way that we do things. But the difference between a cult and a culture is the belief system is a, in a cult is sacred, whereas the belief system in a culture is iterative, meaning it's continually adapting and changing and it's inclusive and it's bringing other people into it. Cults, most things are held up as, you know, really fragile things. So if you challenge it, people get really offended by that. Whereas culture mm. is open to scrutiny. It's open to challenge. It's resilient. Um, in cults, you end up with things that are, it's designed to make people the same. Whereas culture is help is designed to help people bring, feel aligned. So it's not the same. It's actually just aligned. Whereas cultures, it's all about forcing things. Culture is all about sharing things. So there's some really distinct things that set them apart. But yeah, there's definitely some some blurry lines along the way. Yeah, of the million things I highlighted, one of, one of the ones that I, I really that really struck me was oneness, not sameness. Yeah, was yeah. one of the lines that you used in the book, and I really like that idea that we can all be at one, and you know, I can embrace the fact that you look at this differently, and I see it this way, and and that's okay. We can still be as one as a culture and as a team. 
Yeah, I think about that in lots of team meetings, right? Our goal of a team meeting is not to just go, let's bring 10 people together that all say the same things, all believe the same thing, and we just agree really quickly. I'm like, no, the goal of a great team is that we hear diverse perspectives and we include people into the conversation and we create safety that allows every person to contribute to the conversation. However, once the conversation is had and we leave that room, we have to be united about where we're going. We don't want 10 people with 10 different opinions going through back channels and kind of cutting the legs out of our ideas because we didn't agree with it. We've got to create safety for people to have the input in the conversation, but alignment when we choose to go forward and make the decisions. Do you see that as the leader's job to be able to make sure everyone's heard, but then make sure everyone's aligned? Yeah, I mean, it's the whole John Maxwell quote, everything rises and falls on leadership. Um, I think leaders play a really significant responsibility. Um, as a leader of a team, if you see something in your team that is potentially squashing the safety of the team, the um, input of its team members, then you as a leader have a really big responsibility to be able to call that out and do something about it. Um, the, the hardest challenge is often when the leader is the person who's doing that. And they need more self-awareness around that. And I guess part of that is being around great mentors and coaches that help elevate your self-awareness. Yeah, I, I guess that one too is that you've got to feel safe that people can call you out if you're the leader. And I yeah. think a lot of places, you know, they don't feel – people wouldn't feel safe to call the leader out on something that they're doing wrong. Yeah. I mean, feedback has to run every direction of the business, right? Like you have to be willing as a leader to receive feedback from people. You have to be willing to um, address the inconsistency when you see it. Uh, yeah, it has to go in every direction across the team. And team members need to feel safe to be able to call each other out on things when they see it, both good and bad. Mm. That that kind of idea that the, the greatest way to demotivate a team is to put up with someone that, that's not doing what they should. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the part of the, the great quote that I used in the book, um, that was basically the, the culture of your, of any organization is, is decided by the worst behavior that it's willing to tolerate. Uh, and yeah, I wow. thought that was fascinating. The worst behavior that it's willing to tolerate. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, that, that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you think about culture, one of the phrases I use is culture is average is not aspirations, meaning that the culture of your team, if we're talking about culture being the norms of your team, then whatever are the averages of your team is the culture of your team. So if the average of your team is that it's exclusive, that it's, you know, uh, you know, it's political, it's bureaucratical, it's red tape fill, then that's the culture of your team. As much as you say, well, we're a culture of autonomy and freedom and trust, your average says differently. Now, culture can be aspirational, meaning that you can aspire to create the culture that you want, but you just got to recognize that whatever is the average of our team right now will be the sum average culture that we're creating, that we, that we have as, as, as right now. Yeah, right. Do you, I, I have this idea too that quite often people will either rise to what the best in the in the thing is or the best will fall to what the average or the worst is do you do you see that in some of the places where you work a similar sort of dynamic going on yeah i mean if you think about an experience that you had when you walked into an environment and you learned about the culture really quickly. Like think about, you know, I remember being, my mum's my a teacher's aide up in Queensland, a little small town called Bundaberg. And I remember being a teenage boy and she brought me along to one of her school things. And it was an Anglican school, brought me into a little chapel. And I remember swearing for the first time um, in this kind of little chapel environment and being met with the eyes of people around me and eyes of my mother at the same time. And I, and I never, no one ever explicitly told me but I knew that what I did wasn't part of the culture of that environment. 
And so I quickly adjusted my behavior because the collective pressured, had this kind of external pressure to not do that. Now I could have just kept doing that, but it would, people would have said something eventually. And we see that across teams, right? If you've got a team that has a really strong, if you bring a new person into that team, chances are that person's going to adapt to the sum average of that team and go go one of two ways. Either they'll adjust their behavior to belong and, you know, Fiona Robinson, another great major street author, wrote a book called The Rules of Belonging around culture because she said, you know, culture is that rules of belonging. What does it take for me to belong here? They'll either adapt their behavior to belong in that team or over time they'll continually push up against resistance to the point where they say, this is not the team that I want to be a part of. And they generally will leave and say, I didn't like the culture there. Yeah, right. Okay. So it's, yeah, that's a tough one, isn't it? The whole how much can individuals affect the culture? Mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. They, they can. Like if you, if you think about a person who's the leader of a team especially, there's a power dynamic at play. So if you've got a team leader, imagine you've got a team of 10 people and for forever that leader was micromanaging that team um, in every bit of work they do. They wanted to be in every single detail. So every team member starts forwarding them all of their work and CCing them in on all of their emails. Now imagine you take that leader out of a team well, the culture is still, there's a micromanaging culture because people are still going to send their emails, they're going to see someone else. They bring a new leader in who's deeply empowering and believes in autonomy and trust and measuring outcomes, great leader. And then everyone still keeps CCing that person in on every email. Now, the culture's still there, but if that leader says, hey, I, I don't need to know this stuff. Autonomy. You guys are smart people. You that. can do it You've yourself. This. Exactly. If that person starts doing that, you'll start to shift the culture over time to the point where everyone goes, okay, well, this is the new culture. And so you, everything that time you're shifting culture, you got to remember there's organizational memory and residue that kind of drips over. But over time, if you build the consistency of it, yeah, one person can influence a culture. Mm. Um, one, of, one of the stats that you pull up, and you pull up a million stats <laughs> in this. If you love stats, this is the book for you because it's there are just so many studies and it's just impeccably researched. So congratulations yeah. on that, by the way, because the research. Thank you. We did a lot amazing. of work in, into the research of this. I feel like culture is not one of those spaces that you just want to have an opinion on. It, you want to make sure you've got an opinion that's backed up with thorough research. And we did that for this book. Yeah. Well, one of the, one of the stats that, that really hit for me was half the people think that culture just happens. Yeah. Yeah. You know, to me, that's just like, holy shit, that's no, it doesn't just happen. You've got to make it. Happen. Yeah. I mean, the, the question that we asked was, um, you know, it was around, it was a statement. It was just the statement was culture can't be influenced. It just happened. And 50% of the people in our study of a thousand Australian managers agreed with that statement. And that was scary for me. And so I, I wanted to understand that question. So we dug deeper in a whole lot of other ways. And surprisingly, everywhere I go at the moment when I'm talking to managers, I still see that that there's a predominant belief that people go, oh, like culture just happens. Like we can't influence it. And so there is definitely an element of that. But there was also another subsection of people in there that basically said you can't influence whether or not you have a culture. And they interpret it as, you know, culture just happens in the sense that you can't decide whether you have culture or you don't. Anytime you gather a collective group of people together, you've got culture. You've got culture, yeah, whether it's good, bad or otherwise. Exactly. However, what they said is good culture, strong culture, needs a leader and that needs to be influenced. So yes, culture just happens, but good culture needs a leader. One of the things you talked about was, are you designing your culture or are you defaulting to that culture? And I, yeah. I love that. I love sort of 
being deliberate or defaults. I, I love those two yep. words together. Which one are we going to actually choose to be deliberate or just go with whatever the default is? Yep. How would you sort of – is that just an awareness thing or how? what advice would you give for people that feel like they've got this default culture that they kind of don't want, isn't useful and, and need to change? Yeah, I mean – the interesting thing about culture by default or whatever kind of language you use for it is what I would refer to as culture by default is just culture that we, we live with very little awareness of and we don't do any have no have a little very little sense of intentionality around. So when I think about culture by default is that you can have good culture and bad culture by default just purely through the luck of hiring and having great people, right? So I talked to some organizations and they've got they've built really successful businesses and they don't really focus anything around culture. Um, and that's surprising because, you know, they, un- they've just got the fortunate, um, privilege of having hired really good people that feel really aligned to the organization's purpose and mission. And so they kind of operate in the way that feels good for them. Mm-hmm. Now, other organizations, they really struggle with toxic cultures and toxic environments. And it's just purely because, um, Unfortunately, the, the average ways of doing things has been shifted by not necessarily having great people come into the business or, you know, there's been a lack of intentionality around certain things and behaviors have been let to go on too much. And so it's just kind of continued to embed a bad practice and a bad culture over time. Leaders have put up with things that they probably shouldn't have time. put up with. Exactly. And so what I would say is culture by default is not necessarily good or bad. It's just unintentional. Mm-hmm. And culture by design is is exactly the word you use. It's just deliberate, which is what is the culture that I want to create? And so the tagline for the book is the conversations you need to create the team that you want, right? When you think about it, exactly. I didn't write a book on how to create healthy culture. And I've intentionally said that because my like healthy is not mine to define for your organization. Like if you take two organizations, you might go, that's toxic behavior here. Someone said that to me in a workshop a couple of weeks ago. And I said, okay, if we took that behavior and put it into the military, would you call it toxic behavior? And they go, oh, no, it's perfectly normal there. Like it's perfectly healthy. So healthy and toxic is not mine to define. What I want to do is how do you create the culture you want, which is whatever culture you want, how do you get to that? It's more sort of helpful or unhelpful, I guess, isn't it? Rather than healthy or toxic. It's sort of is is yep. is our culture making what we do better and making the people happier and serving the customers better and Yeah. Someone said to me a couple of weeks ago when I asked what is culture and they said culture is how your people go home at the end of the day. And I thought that was a really nice insight around an element of culture. Like culture is how people go home at the end of the day. Do they go home feeling exhausted, drained, disempowered? dreading Monday or do they go home every day going, that was a good productive day at work. I'm so happy to be a part of what I'm part of. I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's the culture you want, right? That's an awesome way to define it, isn't it? Yeah. You know, that's, yeah it's a nice perspective. Yeah. And you could be, you can be tired without being empty. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, I'm, I'm really exhausted. I had a really big day, but you can be really happy with your really big day or you can just go home and I'm just shattered and broken and, don't want yeah, to do I mean, again. you'd see that all the time. Like you, you can be doing something that, you know, you, you, we were just chatting before about you went on a, a hike recently and I, I guarantee you, like you would have felt like physically like challenged by that and like exhausted by that. But you were like saying it was one of the most like cathartic therapeutic experiences, like, cause it kind of helped bring yourself alive. Right. So you can have being tired and exhausted and also feeling deeply energized and fulfilled through the experience. Right. Yeah, well, it was. I remember we had a four-day hike and came in for the end of it. It was almost like the, it was four blokes, four middle-aged blokes 
coming in at the end, we felt like the four guys in city slickers, sort of coming into 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 town at the end. And it was yeah, we were all absolutely exhausted. Legs were sore. You know, been carrying a backpack for four days, but just felt mentally just amazing. Yeah, and I guess that's that's what you're talking about in a, in a good culture. Is you're going to come home. You might be tired, but yeah, I did some good shit today. I feel that was fulfilled. Awesome. Yeah, I feel great. I, I love what I'm a part of. And I think if you think about culture, to understand culture, culture is a collective sense, which means that every time we get people together, we have culture. And so you always want to reflect on what are the we statements that we make. So it's like, how do I feel about us? You know, what was it like to go to work with our people that day. So what was it like to be part of this team? All of those things uh, give you insight into what it's like to be a part of that culture. Yeah, and it makes, I guess that they, one of the things I really enjoyed from this book as well was the um, DBAD. Yeah. Uh, can you explain what a DBAD is? And um... yeah, A DBAD. My, my good friend, um, Corey, from an organization called Thendro, who most people in Australia might recognize from their, their stores off, the, off your tree, uh, which is a, um, you know, a, or how do I describe it? A bit of a smoking paraphernalia uh, right. and alternative product store. Um, but you'll often see them, um, you know, in main streets and shopping centers around Australia. But they had this, uh, you know, you know, they, they're building this incredible culture where they include differences in, in a really phenomenal way and they create a culture that's built around difference. And they were basically saying, you know, we need to get people to, you know, just be really kind like and just be, you know, COVID was such a, a challenging time. So they created these little wristbands that had DBAD on it, which basically just stood for don't be a dick, um, which I which I loved. <laughs> and, and it was just little bits of language and things that they could do that just kind of uh, remind people of what's a part of their culture around, you know, being kind and inclusive and supportive of one another. Yeah, I guess I, I guess that comes into um, one of the things you talk about as, as well was Hanlon's Razor. And I've heard Hanlon's Razor before, but you kind of pulled it up in a way in culture that sort of alerts to that kind of stuff. Can, can you explain for anyone that doesn't know what Hanlon's Razor is and why it's actually a good thing to, to help change your culture? Yeah, I mean, I first I, I read about Hanlon's Razor in a book called Super Thinking, which is a phenomenal book that has a lot of kind of mental models. And we often maybe have heard of Occam's Razor, which is usually the simplest explanation is the correct explanation. But Hanlon's Razor is a bit of a variation. It basically says don't attribute to malice, which can adequately dis- be described as through carelessness. Or uh, I think other versions of it say don't attribute to malice, which can be attributed to stupidity. Yeah, uh, that was the one I got. <laughs> um, exactly, yeah, exactly. Don't think don't think that person's being mean. They might just be being stupid. Exactly, exactly. So a lot of the things that you think about, you know, when people are being rude or unkind, we think that they're doing it with really malicious intent. And often at times it's just being really careless. It's careless in our words, it's careless in our actions, and uh, it allows us to be a little bit more empathetic and kind ourselves. And do you think that almost those that works, that Hanlon's razor and assuming kindness is also then you've got to probably have that conversation if it's coming across differently? You know, did you mean yeah, that I mean, to sound really mean? Shane, you know, I took that as meaning this. Is Am I right? And asking yeah, it, a question rather than just biting people's head off straight away. So important. I, I would suggest that most of our, our worlds and our work and our life's biggest challenges are a communication issue and they can be solved with a communication solution, uh, which means that you can carry around frustration or you can deal with it in a, with an effective conversation. Um, mm. Most of the time we carry around frustration or hurt or anger or bitterness 
Um, Leanne Davies, I wrote about, she used the example um, that I wrote about in my book and she said um, when we carry around, you know, frustrations or we avoid difficult conversations, it's like carrying around debt. She said eventually you have to pay, pay back the principal but if you've carried around for so long, you also have to pay back the interest. And the mm. interest is having, you know, two weeks of restless nights before you have the conversation. It's yeah. you always have to have the conversation at some point sooner or later. But if you carry it around, you're just carrying around extra debt that's unnecessary. Well, one of the things, one of the things you talked about as well, and with that whole carrying around stuff and having the interest on it is that we can sometimes avoid those conversations and avoid them with apathy. We find mm. we just become apathetic about that. And you, you referred to that as a maladaptive response to overwhelm and discomfort and discontent. Mm. And I love that idea that, you know, I can be overwhelmed and I can be really worried about something and one way to deal with it is to just stop giving a shit. Yeah. Just allow, we tolerate things, you know, we, a culture ultimately becomes what's accepted and what's rejected and what's tolerated and what's not tolerated. And early on, it's, if you can address cultural inconsistency really quickly, you can actually nip things in the bud before they escalate to become really crucial conversations and you can deal with them nice and early. If we don't, one of two things happen. We carry around the hurt and the pain and the stress and the frustration of it that people sometimes are completely unaware of. So like I've got a manager who says, I don't like the way they did that. That frustrates me. They don't have the conversation. That team member goes home and spends a week basically not even thinking about it. And the leader goes home and can't sleep every night. And I'm like, a leader loses a week of sleep and the team member is completely oblivious and just keeps doing the way they're doing. And so they go, oh, well, I'm just going to deal with it. And they basically eventually over time, you just become so apathetic that it just becomes not an issue anymore. You're like, I'm just done with it. You, you check out, you know, mentally or, you know, leave the organization. Yeah, I, I guess, yeah, that, that whole, I, I love the idea of having a noise-canceling habit, that that mm. thing that, that's renting a room in your head, that thing that's rolling around there. And I think sometimes having those conversations is like a noise-canceling habit. It's like putting the headphones on when you get on a plane. You don't hear all the noise anymore. Mm. And let's just have the conversation. Yeah. Oh, that's a really nice metaphor. Like, again, if you, if you are constantly dealing, I mean, every leader, like this is, remember, this is a leadership book. Every leader is dealing with really complex issues every day. Like that's part of leadership is your, your job as a leader, uh, especially as you progress through leadership is you deal with the most complex problems and challenges of the business. And so by the time you're in a CEO position, you're dealing with the top 10%, you know, maybe, you know, 5% of the organizational challenges. And so as a leader, you're dealing with complex challenges every day. You don't need to make your job more complex by carrying around unnecessary frustration, hurt, pain, you know, offense, all those things that go with avoiding a difficult conversation. Um, mm. So we can make it easier on ourselves. Well, that's where things like micromanaging and stuff, you, you, that's, a, that's just noise. Let that person do their job. Yeah. Um, I, have a, I have a friend of mine who's a retired colonel in the army. So he was sort of, you know, commanding officer in, in the barracks that he was working at and stuff. And his whole thing is if something gets to me that shouldn't have got to me, the person under me is getting chewed out. Not whatever the problem was, the person under me is getting chewed out because they're the one that, that should have fixed this. This shouldn't have got to me. And I'm not yeah. sure how many other leaders look at it that way. I mean, it's like anything with a fuse, right? Like if you if you can stamp out the fuse, you can avoid the explosion. Um, but if you just kind of let it continue to burn, eventually it's going to go off. And yeah, unfortunately... Right. 
when you carry around something, you don't know who you're going to go off on. And sometimes you end up going off on the wrong people and uh, it can affect your credibility as a leader. It can impact your team, uh, your career, all kinds of things. And so, yeah, let, let's stamp it out nice and early. Yeah, cool. Um, one of the other ones from from leaders was that you, I can't remember the exact stat, but it was along the lines of you're twice as likely to be disengaged if you feel like the leader's apathetic towards you than if the leader is busting your chops about changing things. Can you can you take us through that? That that just seemed yeah. like wow. I, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's this through? idea that um, it actually came from Gallup's research. Gallup did some really great studies around engagement in terms of like what people, uh, how people feel when they're in terms of being engaged at work based on the feedback that they receive from their manager. And I mean, a lot of the old adage that people use is the kind of no news is good news, which is this idea that if you don't hear from me, you need to assume that you're doing a good job. And I think it's a bit of an old kind of classical leadership style. And and. The truth is that like it actually couldn't be further from the truth. Like people would rather hear bad news in terms of like, I guess, critical feedback than to be completely ignored. Now, the the ideal is that people get feedback around their strengths, right? Is that we give them strengths-based feedback and how they can leverage their strengths, how they can utilize their strengths. But people would rather hear about their weaknesses than hear nothing at all in terms of how it shifts and affects their engagement. And the main reason is is people want to know where they stand with you as a leader. They want to know if they're doing a good job, they want to know. If they're doing a bad job, they want to know. They just don't want to be oblivious and unaware of what's actually going on. So yeah, a conversation is always better than no conversation, even if it's a hard one. You made a great point um, talking about Oprah. And she'd interviewed something like 30,000 people. And the one thing that she says that was universal is all of them want to feel validated. Mm. And that was just like, wow. People want to be seen, right? Like people want to be seen. And when you give feedback to a person, you're not just, you know, especially when we recognize and we reward, we're not just celebrating behavior. We're helping a person feel seen and Mm -hmm. everyone wants to feel seen. Yeah, it's and I guess you know apathy is is almost a response to not being seen, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you were if you're at your work and you think about being a team member, and if you were working, you know, busting your gut every day to do great work, and uh, and you just felt like nobody noticed, nobody ever recognized it, nobody ever saw it, you just go, well, what's the purpose in this? Why am I doing this? Mm. So if if you were one of these middle managers and these middle to upper managers that you're talking about, what would your you know, top two or three tips on on how you need to – what things do you think you should do to, to positively affect your culture? What, what would be your big ones? Yeah, I mean the big ones would be number one, invite people into a conversation designed to help surface the unspoken expectations of each other. It's a huge one. Um, most Just of the time again. we try – Bring people, invite people into a conversation to surface the unspoken expectations of each other. Right. Um, so what do we expect of each other? Let's have an honest conversation around that. Cause most of the time, the reason we avoid difficult conversations is because we're trying to address something that we've, we've never really said we, we want. So I mean, I'll give you an example. Someone says, I want a team that's optimistic and you go, okay, great. When was the last time you told your team that? And they're like, I don't think I ever have. I'm like, well, how do they know? Mm. Oh, I just get angry when they're upset or when they're not when they're a bit um, pessimistic. Yep, okay. I'm like, well, that's, that makes it challenging. So bring people together, surface the unspoken expectations of the team. The second thing is make sure that when those expectations are communicated, that people can link them to really clear 
observable behaviors, meaning that yeah. would a person know when I said, this is my expectation, when they leave the room, would they know what to do about that? And that would be a really, really crucial one. Um, and then probably the last one is a really important, we, we get addressing cultural inconsistency. That's obviously a, a big one we've just touched on. But the last one is ask yourself, the when I'm rewarding a behavior, think to myself, if everybody on the team did this behavior that I'm rewarding, would I be happy with the culture that it creates? So for example, we might say, hey, thanks so much for staying back until midnight last night to get your work done. And let's celebrate that behavior in a team. Now ask the question, if everybody on my team stayed back till midnight every week to get their work done, would I be happy with the culture that that created? The answer is probably not. And so I'd be really careful and intentional about how you reward uh, because what gets rewarded gets repeated. So that sort of situation as a leader, I would have thanked them for staying back till midnight, whatever it is, then be like, well, what are you going to do? I need to make sure you sharpen your saw and that you're okay and that you're not burning yourself out. So I guess that then turns into how much the leader cares, doesn't it? it well, exactly. And again, part of this is just um, you might get you to your team together in a team meeting and you might say thank you in a public context to that person for staying back and doing their work, but you've unknowingly told everybody else on your team that that's the kind of behavior that gets rewarded. So there are some circumstances where a person goes over and above to get the job done. And so what you might say is I want to say, hey, can I just want to say thank you, Luke, for staying back last night to get the job done. I know we said we wanted to create a culture where we were committed to delivering things on time. And that was a rare circumstance that actually required you to be back um, late for that. I know we're trying to create a culture of, of balance and, you know, where we're not kind of creeping into people's personal lives mm. and i know that this was an exception to that so i want to say thank you for it and at the same time we're going to make sure that this doesn't happen again so that you're not put in that position so so you're reinforcing kind of the culture balance. that you want rather than the rewarding the culture that, they that you don't want to create yeah yeah that's great that's really really good is there any other big ones you'd throw in there uh look i mean i've got a whole those two are pretty huge the, the main th- the main the main thing i would just reinforce to people is that is culture is going to happen regardless of whether you do anything about it but the culture you want takes a leader and you can be that leader yeah that's a that, that's a great way to finish it off mate but we always have um a little fast five at the end which i actually don't think i sent you the 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 questions of this so let's we're gonna do it. go let's, well there might be a bit of a slower five but we'll do it yeah, it might again. be a slightly slower five so um so this is about books that have had an influence on your life so yeah. what, what what was a a a book that's really made a big influence on your life. Yeah, I mean that's an easy one. The Moment of Lift by Melinda Gates was such a such a great book for me. Um, I mean, you know, I'm a pretty privileged white male um, man, and I you know I have a pretty good uh, setup in life. And her, her book was phenomenal in really understanding some of the complexities that women in leadership face around the world. Mm-hmm. And so it was a really great eye opener um, and really really impacting for me. Right. Um, one of the books that impacted you as a lot as a lot as a kid. Uh, you know what's interesting? One of the things that uh, really impacted me was a lot of um, the Roald Dahl uh, books. Okay, like, I know it's James really, like, and the Giant Peach I, I was, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I know the reason why I say it impacted me, it wasn't like a life transformational thing, but I think one of the things it did is it, it sparked this creativity and imagination in me as a child. Mm-hmm. I was a really kind of like imaginative child, and they kind of created these stories where I could um, utilize my imagination. I really think that shaped the creative heart that I have now. Yeah, right. Because, you know, think of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. That's a Roald Dahl mm. one, isn't it? Yeah. I believe so, yeah. Yeah. 
That yeah, that that's a great book. What's a book you think everyone should read? Oh, I mean, uh, look. If, if, if for a leader, one of the books that I love um, is uh, Patrick Lencioni's Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Um, I love it because I'm a, I'm a storyteller and I'm a story listener. So I, I love kind of capping into that. And uh, look, I'm a little bit bitter because he just knocked me off as the number one best. I noticed that. He dropped you to number two. two by a book yeah, that's probably two. 20 years old. Exactly. But there, there's a reason it comes in at number one. It's a phenomenal book. Yeah, it is. And if we were going to have a, a Shane Haddon autobiography, what would we call that? Oh, my gosh. You know what? I, I actually did this exercise when I came out of uni and uh, they basically asked you to imagine the end of your life and to write a book and what would you title it? And because I, I haven't thought it through much more than that, I'll, use, I'll give you what I called it at the time. It was called Too Young, Too Old. And it, it was this idea that for most of your life, people go, oh, you're too young to do that. You're too young. You're so young. You're so young. And then you get to the point where everyone's like, oh, you're too old to do that. You're too old to do that. And I think there's something about bucking the trend. I always want to be the person that when I'm too young to do something, I want to do it anyway. And yeah. later in life, when someone says you're too old for that, I want to do it anyway. So that's probably what I would say. I love that for a title. It's awesome. I had had a friend of mine and her her father passed away, unfortunately, recently. And she went and, and met all the relatives at the funeral. And one of the li- lines that one of them said, and she was a really elderly lady who was super fit and she was just an amazing woman, apparently. And her line was, don't let the old in. Oh, I love that. And I really like that. But I love I loved, um, Too Young, Too Old because let's face it, if, you, if those two overlap, when do you live? Exactly. Exactly. That was my whole thing is like, at what point do you tip over from being too young to do something to being too old? And there's just what, what sits in the middle of that? Are you ever the perfect age for something? And probably not. Yeah. Love it. Shane Haddon, as always, great to have a chat with you on your next read. And um, we can get the book from Major Street or Booktopia or any of those. How can we get in contact with you? Yeah. I mean, I hang out everywhere on social media under Shane M. Hatton. So you can find me there or shanemhatton.com. Shane, it's been fun, mate, as always. Good to see you. I love chatting with you. Any opportunity I get. So thanks so much for having me. Cheers, buddy. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Your Next Read. If you'd like to get hold of Let's Talk Culture by Shane Michael Hatton, go to majorstreet.com.au and use the code YNR to get your discount. I'm Luke Mathers, and while you're at Major Street, feel free to get a copy of my new book, Curious Habits, which is out at the start of July. It's been fun. Cheers. Thank you.